Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, we're doing something totally different. Instead of me interviewing a founder of a climate startup, the tables have been turned. Nathan's V from the Net Zero Life podcast has me on a guest on his show. And for me, this was so much fun. Nathan's V is a recovering aerospace engineer turned climate podcaster. He does a bunch of cool things in sustainability at Amazon and his podcast, The Net Zero Life, which I highly recommend you listen to, is his way of learning in public how to be net zero by the end of this year. And in the episode, Nathan asked me a bunch of questions, starting from the genesis of In Good Hands, how I've grown the podcast and our community from just a few listeners to what it is today, and some of the potential plans we have for the franchise beyond the podcast. After him and I riff on some of the behind the scenes that happens here, we then each bring two or three ideas to the table and go back and forth talking about what problem the idea could solve, how exactly you might bring these things to market, the impact potential for these ideas. And finally, we cap off the conversation with something we've never done before. So after almost 100 episodes, some of the recurring feedback that I get over and over again is cool, but how do I integrate some of these solutions or ideas into my life, right? I I have this interest in being better, but I have no idea what steps to take. And so Nathan and I are giving away just that, a free 360 sustainability revamp for your life. The way it'll work is we'll choose one of y'all, we'll have a really fun conversation, we'll learn about some of the key facets of your lifestyle, any specific goals you have, and whether or not you do have specific goals, by the end of the conversation, we'll give you a blueprint on how to go from zero to one, right? Not sustainable at all, to just a little bit more sustainable in the most practical ways possible. And so for info on how to enter that giveaway, just click into the show notes and that'll give you all the details on how to enter. So without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with me and Nathan's V, founder and host of the Net Zero Life podcast. I'm Nathan. Yeah, how's it going? I'm Peter. I'm Nathan. Good to meet you for the first time. Yeah, I know. Also, it's crazy. I feel like COVID in New York so funny it's like dangerous what you say about covid right but you're double vaxxed uh-huh. i'm double vaxxed tawny's double vaxxed it's just i played basketball indoors yesterday for the first time in god knows how long you're a hooper i'm a jewish hooper like a jewish six foot less than like officially 510 not even if we're like being super precise but i played like small jewish school played basketball do you do you ball no, what Every single day. Oh. Every single day we had a crew, 6 p.m. There's 35 of us in this group, and whoever makes it out, we do a little, we have three half courts. Okay. And we just run for two and a half, three hours. Every day. Every single day. Does your back hurt? Have you reached that point yet? No, I feel good. Yeah? I feel good, knock on wood. Can I ask how old you are? Uh, 28. 28? Okay, me too. I feel like old man back, I mean, we're talking to, you know, Tani, who's the true uh, back expert. More baseballer, but you ball a little bit. I played as much varsity as you did. In, yeah. in high school. I played varsity for a year. So did I. Oh, really? Basketball. Same. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You. yeah, a little bit. A lot of okay. ball one time. Okay. Hell's Kitchen, remind me where Hell's Kitchen is. It's 40, 
the mid 40s to the upper 50s on the east or west 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 okay so pretty close to here yeah nice favorite coffee shop and or bagel place or just like new york classic thing so bagels pick a bagel pick a bagel okay i think I guess how you look at it, the the problem with Pickle Bagel is it's a well-known stalwart, so the line is minimum 30 minutes. Okay. But it's worth the wait. Coffee? Ah. So, I would say Laughing Man has got to be King of the Castle. That's Tribeca area. It's Hugh Jackman's cafe. He owns it? Yeah. Why? Oh. It is, and it is amazing. You go down there... They set up a little turf outside so people bring all their puppies. You just go there. It is the quintessential people and dog watching haven. And the coffee is really good. Do you get, what kind of coffee do you get? Basic. Basic? I do iced coffee, tiny splash of cream. In the winter as well? 24 7. 24 7. 365. I can't do hot. I can't do hot. Okay. I'm like a hot person. I started drinking coffee during the pandemic, ironically. And I have a rule where I try and not drink it on work days. I had it today. I'm feeling it. I talk a million miles an hour. But I feel like it's like beer. Like, I feel like I started drinking beer in college and I don't, I didn't like the taste of beer. You have to like drink it enough. You're like, okay, this is what it tastes like. And I like it. I feel like coffee's the same way. It's just like super bitter. No one's like meant to like it. The first time you drink it, you're like wired out of your mind, right? And then you drink it enough. I just love the process. I had an AeroPress back in Seattle and I just love the grinding the beans, put it in, you measure, blah, blah, blah. It could be like the engineer in me. And I started making it. Look at this thing to our left. I know. For anyone listening, there's some really sophisticated looking machine that I think spits out coffee. It's espresso. Espresso. Nice. nice. A coffee is espresso, right? You just add water. <laughs> yeah. I'm right now. Tell me about your cup. Oh yeah. So this is a guest we had on the pod, Stojo. Stojo. Are you familiar with no. Stojo? Okay. Anyone listening, go to Stojo.co. This company based here in Brooklyn. They are positioning themselves as Tupperware 2.0. Okay. And their key differentiator is all of their products are collapsible. All right, the problem with Tupperware is, A, it hasn't really changed much. Its original use case was stored away and then put into a fridge or to into your bag. It's not designed for portability. I mean, look at this. Yeah, we're looking at a cabinet right now. Most people's cabinets are filled with Tupperware and it doesn't look good. Imagine 10xing the amount of units you can put into a small space. You can bring around a little coffee mug that you can fit into your pocket, expand it out, put coffee into it. They do bowls, they do whole nine so they are very interesting can you take also just quick sidebar so interesting now that we're in person i can like signal to you that i want to jump in i don't know if you feel like online it's like much harder to do that oh, and then there's a delay with zencaster yeah. so like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah exactly it's like no oh, hey i want to jump in on what you're saying can you bring that to a coffee shop and they fill it up for you you have to like get a like cup and then pour it in so pre-covid yes a lot of the cafes here went yeah. no reusable yeah. makes sense but a lot of the indie cafes still honor it. Okay. And I think over the next year and change, the forever container will be the de facto approach. I and think all Starbucks shops. is doing that. Did yes. you see that? In Seattle. Yeah, in Seattle. 
they're like trialing borrow a cup thing so i don't know we'll have to figure out how it's going one quick tupperware story is that my mom uh who's like underrated she's uh, she's about to retire from teaching but she's such a side hustler she's a an assistant manager at mcdonald's meanwhile she's like keeping kosher i actually maybe not at that time but she also sold tupperware on the side she's the ultimate hustler i had no idea this is the case she's like your regular like fifth grade history teacher and she was as she calls it like a tupperware lady so i'll have to see if she's interested in helping us dojo so i'm thinking for the conversation today yeah i will can we start first i just want to say i feel like i've appreciated new york in a way that i never have the energy like i'm into the like driving where you just you cut people off and like nobody gets upset about it you're just like you're putting yourself in there and i get hyped on that but the subway is the utmost like mindfulness practice you just have to be like, okay, it's coming late. It says zero minutes, but the train is not here. <laughs> like, I will just have to be calm. And I was late to this interview because of the subway. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get there 15 minutes early. Da, da, da. I don't know. Do you, is that every day? Do you, like, people, are people pissed off because the subway's always late? What's the deal? I would say for the most part, the New York subway, subway is fine. It is my preferred mode of transportation in the city. I'll caveat that by saying city bike now does e-bikes across most of their stations and in the summer that's amazing like low effort biking across the city do you wear a helmet don't wear a helmet now mm. but yeah you know you cruise you go to the west end highway <laughs> there's no cars you're just risk tolerance is such an interesting thing but i would say for the most part i don't know i think the issues with the subway is overblown it's pretty good you can get anywhere you want got a bacon 15 20 minutes because there's gonna be issues i learned but i learned yeah i mean it's it works okay and so we met via one of the people i interviewed who you also interviewed Corey nobly of impact snacks yep and i saw your podcast was like super cool you also interviewed some huge names when did you start your podcast and what was the genesis for that so the genesis was a general disappointment with how people talked about climate i think Today, that narrative has changed quite a bit. People see the regulatory tailwinds. Everyone's talking about climate, wanting to work in it. But two years ago, it was the fight against climate change. It was this apocalyptic future that was imminent. And so the genesis was, why isn't there a how I built this for climate? Where the sole message we're trying to get across is... A, there are people trying to manifest a better future. And then B, I think more practically, there are ways to make a lot of money by solving parts of the climate problem set. And it didn't crystallize in that way when I first started, but once we got a few reps under our belt, that is the messaging that has seemed to work. Convincing people that it's not just signs and people standing out saying down with a or y these are people just like every one of us that want to build something that happens to be a bit more planet friendly yeah there's so much i want to jump off on first of all like how i built this is just like the paragon of all podcasts i feel like everyone like that's their entry into podcasting and then they want to emulate it and then that and then how many episodes did it take because people, I, I have a friend who's a consultant. He's always like strategy. And I'm like, no, let's just do, do, right? And so did you have a strategy? How, when you said it took a few episodes to nail it down, how many did it take until you're like, and how many have you done? Like 180? We're almost at 100. 100. And that is, a, that is a great question. When I first started, it was more out of a general disappointment in myself that I was just 
sitting on the sidelines, not doing anything. Yeah. And having conversations is really the lowest effort or lower, lowest commitment way to start doing something. So at the time, it was my side hustle slash excuse to start talking to people, learning about how I can start making change. But I had no idea what the end goal of the podcast would be. And I still am. I feel like I have imposter syndrome. I've, I've got all these episodes under my belt. But frankly, I have no idea what the future of the media company will look like. I don't know what In Good Hands will look like in a year from now. But I will say maybe 10, 15 episodes in, once I started talking to people and then pretty much probing the 10 or 15 listeners we had, where am I sucking? What are you enjoying most? People stopped saying they don't want to listen to the backstory. They just want to hear, hey, show us the cool thing that they're bringing to life and then how they're making money. It's that simple. You can actually hear if you guys listen to episodes one through eight or nine, the intro music is this like aspirational, like we're about to watch Seaspiracy and this epic music. And at nine or 10, you can see we made this really hard pivot towards uplifting, exciting, because that's what we want the episodes to be. You come in not knowing anything about a topic and now you have someone that looks or like us or is roughly our age that's just trying to build something, right? And making money along the way. So that was the big switch. Nine or 10 episodes in, oh, we wanna show people that the world is getting better. You know? Yeah, it's so interesting because I've talked to, I feel like founders wanna talk about the why, like the philosophical, which mm-hmm. I also find myself interested in. Mm-hmm. But Tani, my executive producer, is, is coaching me more along the lines of what you're saying. Um, we're only eight episodes in, so we'll see how it changes. Mm-hmm. How many people listen to your latest episode, do you know? Oh, like within the first week. It's so funny. If you feel comfortable. Tani, no, Tani and I were just talking about this. I was like, I am such a noob when it comes to analytics. The only thing I look at is this. I'll show you this like Squarespace. Y'all, I'll give you guys the tea right now. So this is, we use Squarespace for hosting, right? This like shows all of our analytics. Every time we publish an episode, it distributes it to Apple, Spotify, etc. The only bellwether metric I have is this. So like last year we were hovering at 5,000 subs. Now we're 21,000, 23. That's a lot of people. So yeah, but I don't know, like what does this mean, right? <laughs> is this the amount of people that are clicking to our site? Is it the people that have clicked follow? I think there's a benefit to being super transparent. If you were to ask me if I wanted to make In Good Hands a full-time enterprise, most people would say you should do ads, you should do merch. And I just don't think that's how I've been able to connect deepest with our audience. I think people come to get educated. And so I think the opportunity for us going forward, and this is like one of our one of the ideas I'd love to riff on, is doing masterclass how-to for dummies around sustainability topics. So imagine you have co-authored pieces, courses, whatever you want to call them, with some expert on a topic. So how to make your fashion line greener. 
And this is co-authored by the head of sustainability at Patagonia, the person that's pioneering Eileen Fisher's reformation line. Did you do any advertising or outreach? I didn't. This is that it's all organic. And I think the thing that I should have been more willing to do is ask the guests to promote Mm. because the one time, so the biggest inflection point and again, this is like radical transparency. So when we look at these metrics, let me, I wonder if I can pull up last year. Wow. That big jump, this week's episode was Bowery Farming. And to this day, we still get referrals from whatever they did. My guess is, I mean, they have a very significant email list. I think they just sent it to their entire mailing list. Hey, listen to this pod. We had, you know, our chief commercial officer and chief marketing officer it's great, blah, 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 blah. I didn't even see what it was, but I remember looking at what the referral traffic was coming from. It was from like something .bowerryfarming.com and it was that week. And so this, I can show you too. This is the, huh, that's how you do it. You just ask the guests to tell their audience that they talked to you about what they're working on. It's that simple. So that's what I didn't do up until, I don't know, episode 30, 40. And it's a relatively low effort ask. So crazy. And then, so you're saying in terms of like monetization, before we even get to monetization, I'm curious, uh-huh. has it opened any doors for you in a surprising way? And then also maybe say what you do full time. Yeah. Full time, I am the founder of a game studio called Hunch Studios. Right now we make adult party games in the same genre of Cards Against Humanity. So we made Incoherent, and we have a whole franchise of expansion packs in that family. We have a dare game coming out in July, a drinking game coming out in June, another adult game coming out in November. So that's the vast majority of my mind share. One of the interesting things is, I think, is that it's hard to create a lot of tension in climate change because it's like these externalities that you don't see. An example, like you can, in The Biggest Loser, right? like they're super trim, right? But in climate change, it's just like, you look out the door and you still see the same air that you see. I mean, maybe if you removed like all of the smog, right? But that's like a, a 10 year kind of thing. The big reveal is just not, it's not the story that climate change is telling. It's like slow and smooth, right? Mm-hmm. It's the way to change the world, but it's hard to like wrap the human element around that and create tension, create a story, stuff for the podcast as well. Like I'm wondering, we talked about how I built this and I, I don't know if how I built this has tension they create tension via the music and all the stuff but i think that we're almost more i'm curious your your thoughts here like more of a tim ferris interview just tell me about it and i spend a lot of time thinking about what is a great question and how to create tension because it's difficult Mm -hmm. that is a great observation yeah how we built this solves that problem by how they cast all of their guests have went through a journey of sorts, right? So there's always some antagonist or some chapter in the story that was really hard. Right. And they always have this, they have the winning protagonist moment at some point. So the arc is very well defined there and they do that by casting accordingly. You're right around, with our style of pod, the final chapter is so far away Right. Many of these companies are 
have some thesis around what the future will look like and believe that their solution will be a minor part of that. But you're at that point, you're still convincing the world that your worldview or your thesis is what will be true or fact. And that's just not a problem that some of the guests on how I built this have. So, right. And there's also no, I don't think these companies yet can then draw the line to say I did X and now the result is Y, right? Which is, is, but at the same time, like you talk to them now and then who knows, 10 years down the road, it's just a long game, which is like not a human thing to do, right? That's why like we get notifications on Facebook because it feels good. It's instant, right? It's also why I think I take a liking to consumer products because unlike many of the moonshot companies that you and I have interviewed that are talking about some version of the future that could exist or have to do many things in order for it to be economically feasible. Consumer products are something that already exist in real life that listeners can feel and touch and integrate into their lives. I mean, we just talked about Stojo, Yeah. right? It's very easy to see how reusable, collapsible, portable starts replacing single-use, clunky, expensive to the world in every category of CPG. And this is what all my friends ask me about. Once you do the podcast, put yourself out there and you say, hey, like, I'm sustainable, right? And so everyone's, did you fly here? <laughs> yeah, I did. And But people are, I think, are constantly asking me, what can I do differently? Like, they just want to take action. Right. And so the consumer goods, I think, is just that. At the same time, like I struggled because when I started, I was creating like, what do I want to talk about? And I thought it was going to be consumer goods. But I found myself like more and more interested in the business to business world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because I felt like that's really where the impact was going to be. That Mm -hmm. a lot of this like true climate action needs to happen behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But the other thesis I had is that everyone's everything is an individual, right? Like people represent governments, people are corporations. And so you just have to shift their minds. And maybe the medium to do that is through consumer products. That is so spot on. I mean, you look at yesterday was the big landmark case against Shell, right? So you had, I don't know if you saw that. Oh my gosh, this Tell is a, a landmark case where the courts are now requiring Shell to reduce their carbon emissions by 40%. Which courts? I think it was Dutch. It's in Europe. In Europe, yeah. Okay. Exxon 2. Yes. Yeah. The oil companies got, can I swear on your pod? Yeah, you They got fucked up yesterday in a great way. So we had the Shell case, Exxon and BP are getting pressure from board directors that right. are right. I saw that. I saw yep. that. And there's two, I think, very well-known activist investors that are joining one of their boards. That Engine be, number one, maybe? I, I think so. I, I, yeah. I, I'm not sure, but the I think you're right in that CPG is the medium where individuals can feel like they can vote with their dollar. They can see how these changes don't require compromises to lifestyle. But the, the big impact opportunities are the B2B. Right. It's what Stripe is doing with Stripe Climate. Every single uh, with a click of a button, anyone that's selling something online can check this box and a percentage of sales goes to offsetting the supply chain or the footprint of the purchase. And that is enormously impactful. And then you had, I think, some type of carbon capture company on the pod. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, those companies are absolutely necessary, but it feels I mean, even today. 
Stripe had they they had this big summit yesterday, where they brought on uh, Running Tide that's doing carbon sequestration in the form of kelp, Heirloom that's doing it in the form of like mineralization. We just was, interviewed them last week. Did you? Yeah. Okay, super cool. So you have all these companies, but today, if you're gonna go to a company or an individual and ask them to offset their footprint in some way. Those companies are incredibly expensive to do so versus protecting forest or planting new trees. But the permanence additionality of those projects are way more impactful than the tree $15 per ton that we see in protecting our it's also like to use an Amazon and I, right, I work for Amazon, everything I say, my opinion, not Amazon's, I don't want to get fired. And I also <laughs> appreciate the irony of working for like a consumer goods company, right? But all that saying, they have this idea called like day one mentality uh, and it is it's truly day one. Like I read one of my favorite books ever is The Last Days of Night, which is about like the electri- electrification of the US. It starts here in New York. Amazing story. Everyone should read the book. But it, the cost of electricity was astronomical in the beginning and they were also running it on DC current right which if you like, you put your hand on it's gonna go through you versus AC and it's a battle between Tesla and Edison super cool but in the same regard like we're day one for carbon capture right like we you have to start somewhere and I've been we interviewed someone else who said I think this were his words or I at least interpreted which was that like climate change is is a race the race to protect the climate and it's totally a marathon at the same time, the consumer goods things bringing a full circle is that's a sprint and it feels good. Like we want to sprint, but mm-hmm. really it's, it's totally a marathon. And maybe it starts with just like changing people's minds to how they feel. I think the best thing that I can do because I'm not an expert, although I'm curious to hear after doing like almost hundred episodes where you feel in terms of what percentile of climate knowledge do you have versus like the rest of the world. But the best thing I can do is just broaden the audience of people who are interested, right? Because I'm not an expert. I'm not a policy person, all mm-hmm. that stuff. I'm not even, I mean, in my day to day, I do work on it, but yeah. That is a, I love that question observation as well. Our audience, the average person who listens to the show is someone who has never purchased Dojo Cup before, right? Has never offset their flight. These are people who are generally curious or interested around the work that's being done here, but their knowledge is quite literally at level one. And I think that to me is what's so exciting because we tailor our conversations to be very non-technical layperson. And the way that we connect with the average person is something that everyone understands. And I keep saying the same talking point, which is how to make money, but it truly is how the average person is wired today. Where we choose to invest our time and our energy is directly proportional to how we're compensated for that time and energy. We reverse engineer from that belief or worldview And that's why our conversations are non-technical. They assume the listener is an amateur, like I am, on most of these topics. Then we just say, hey, this is the problem we're solving. This is how we're making money from it. And this is how you can do something similar on your own. You can also join this company if you want to feel like you'd like to participate in some meaningful way. But... We At least I try as I steer the conversations, the second I feel an ounce of something that I start to not understand fully, it is the perfect opportunity to pause and segue to something that gets us back to that 
key through line. And we'll use this to kind of jump into our our idea riff, as we call it. But I'm curious, do how much of your audience feedback do you get? So as we talked about 25,000 subscribers, how much how many of them are reaching out and giving you feedback, or how do you like you described your audience? You know them very personally, and then once you if you do have that super interactive audience, how do you want to leverage it into whatever's next? That's such a good question. To date, the primary back and forth has been through email. Okay. Uh, I also write a weekly email called Above the Fold, where sometimes we'll talk about the pod, but that's typically the way that we interact. And two is Instagram. When someone disagrees with, it was actually funny. So we had, I don't want to name drop them, but we had one guest on the show and someone called me out for giving airtime to someone that they felt was greenwashing. Mm. And this company just announced they just raised, you know, millions of dollars. And the community, I think, tends to believe that what they're doing is great, as I did. But this is a listener who is totally right in feeling how they did. And it just made me think, and this is a long-winded version of saying, it made me much more conscious of what it means to give airtime to somebody and how when people choose to invest 30 or 45 minutes into two people talking, they've come to expect that you've filtered for certain criteria. And I didn't really come to appreciate this, but now that we've grown quite a bit, it just really was a splash of water in the face that one of the questions that you wrote to me last night was like, how do you prep or how do you get your guests? Now we do way more front loading on the prep to make sure that when we're giving airtime to somebody, they are completely aligned with what we want to do, which is show people that you can make money by solving climate in meaningful ways. Not someone that has an ounce of climate that they use as a tagline in their marketing collateral to give off the impression that what they're doing is good for the world. So I've messed up a few times by doing that and because of outreach via email or Instagram, calling me out on just, that's been, I think, one of the great ways that we've interacted with audience and they have checked me on what I should really be doing, you know? And so did you feel that this person was speaking out for the general audience who listens to your show? Or is this like an individual who's more on the, the tail end of the spectrum, but in this case was right? I think the latter. I think tail end, someone that is much more educated on all things climate. But it was, I think, a necessary reminder that because the average person is not that person, and people are just coming to assume that what we talk about and who we put on is what's best for the world, there's a lot of responsibility in that, right? Kudos to that person. And since that moment, we've been hyper vigilant in making sure that people and the founders we put on are, like I said, very tightly integrated to our core thesis there. And we, we said that we weren't gonna talk about too much podcasting, but <laughs> two minutes maybe to answer 
how do you do your prep? How much time does it take? And do you have a plethora of companies waiting to be on the show and that you have the opportunity to then pick and do your due diligence? So now we have a solid queue. When we started, it was, it felt like you were on a hamster wheel. You'd record and then you'd say, hey, if in order for us to hit the weekly cadence, we got to reach out. We got to ask someone to talk in the next 48 hours. Now, as we've learned, that is not the best way to do things. We have a recorded post-produced queue of six to eight episodes and then actively casting maybe two or three months out. So at this point, we try to, I guess, like front load a lot of that stuff. And then if Dan, who's our producer, is busy or I can't record for the next two weeks, now we can tap into at least a, a small inventory to make sure we're hitting the weekly cadence. That has been our North Star for whatever reason. Every major podcaster I've heard has told us to make sure you're hitting the cadence. People have come to expect Tuesdays. If you miss a Tuesday, people will remember that and then maybe we'll stop searching for your pod or yeah. checking in. How many hours of prep do you think you do per episode uh, before recording? Probably 90 minutes 90 to two minutes. hours. Okay. The bulk of what I do, so I'll go on the founder's LinkedIn and you brought up this point, like how do you craft the perfect question? Many times I found the greatest sources of good questions have been at the very bottom of someone's LinkedIn. You look to see like a project they were a part of, a volunteer experience, a weird resume bullet point. So that is typically a talking point I like to integrate. And then looking at all the most recent media, how other press outlets talked about them, major milestones, but 90, 90 minutes to two hours on average. But those don't, those are separate from the questions you said earlier, which were like, we ask, how do you make money? Mm -hmm. Right. And what do you do to help the climate? Mm -hmm. So do you, so you do both though. So you do those questions and then is that just introduce character? So, uh, yes. Character being individual, not people. Yeah. At, at this point, I actually do not premeditate the question list. Wow. I mean, we've done it so many times yeah. where it's roughly templated. We're going to start with what your Eureka moment was. We'll get into the core product offering. We'll get into how you make money from that core product offering. And then we'll tease what cool products or services are in the pipeline. That's the rough outline of the show. And then, to your point, we sprinkle in the character by bringing up some hidden gem on your LinkedIn or going into, my favorite thing actually is like going down to when people give or get recommendations. And so you bring up person X that you worked with on this project. What was it like working with that person? Or even stalking them on Instagram and then saying, hey, you went here. But yeah, it's pretty formulaic. And then once you hear something that's interesting, like what we're doing now, the second you hear something that's, oh, we got to dig a, a bit deeper there, then you just kind of rock and roll. Do you feel like being a podcaster has made you a better conversationalist in real life? Oh my gosh, that's, look at, this is, this is a great, 100%, right? I mean, A, from being able to sit patiently and let someone talk, I'm still miserable at this because I get so excited and I want to jump in and I want to talk to you. But it, one of the great learned skills of professional conversations is learned patience, letting someone 
get their bit out and then responding. Yeah, that's a long-winded version of saying yes. I'm like ready to jump in right after <laughs> the irony there. It's so palpable, but 100%. And I, 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 I bring up Tim Ferriss a lot because I think he's a fantastic podcaster. And I listen to a lot of his first episodes and you hear him like this, like, acknowledging the speaker during the response of yes. And you don't hear any of that now, right? 500 episodes in. And I think a part of that is being an amazing active listener because it's twofold. One, you have other questions that you want to ask, but you want to like, tell a straight line narrative. You want to have that arc. And two, you want to be able to, if you say something interesting, I want to be able to jump in there. And like you said, dive into it. So it's so fascinating. It definitely has made me a better listener, like you're saying. So I've been thinking about this idea for a bit. Yeah. Can I pitch you let's do it okay and it's coincidental because you work at amazon so yesterday i was reminded of this idea because my fiance and i were cleaning out the apartment and she pulled up one of the amazon poly mailers and she asked me how do i dispose of this is it in the paper is plastic recyclable is it something that i should just throw away in the trash and I didn't know the answer because it was the, the the poly mailer that's paper on the outside lined with the Bubbles wrap on the inside. Blue and white. Was, this one was tan. Okay. And then sticker on the top. And it's an idea that I've been sitting on for weeks now. I actually talked about it with the founder of Goldoon. Plant ID for recycling or waste management, right? Over the last year, it feels like everyone has at least gained this obsession or fascination with plants. And as a byproduct, Plant ID, I think that's the name of the company is crushing it in the app store. Plant ID is like where you take a photo of the plant and it tells you what it is. Yeah, you take a photo of the app, it tells you what it is, it tells you how you should care for it, it tells you where you're going wrong, it's getting too much sunlight, too little water, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's like your Bible or your Torah for how you should be taking care of your plants. Why isn't there point and shoot for waste management where you can pick up any product, you scan it, and based on your local waste management capabilities, it gives you the best recommendation for how you should dispose. The reality is in most jurisdictions throughout the US, most plastics should be thrown away into the trash. But people see the resin ID that looks like a recycling symbol and they throw it into the recycling bin, not knowing that it's just gonna end up burned and won't get recycled. So why isn't there point and shoot or plant ID for waste management that just tells you how to do it? Yeah, so many things to talk about here. The first is should we be recycling in general, right? And let's talk about how like the US as a nation sucks at recycling. In 2018, China stopped taking our, our recycling. The price of recycling per ton drops 90%. Now most of recycling goes to like Vietnam, which is super interesting. New York Times did a great article. You can put that mm -hmm. in the show notes. The there's plant ID in the old fashioned way and that there's symbols that there's symbols that say which stream this can go in, but it requires more effort, right? It's easier to point in. We'll stay away from the Amazon side so I don't get fired, but they're definitely working on that. The, I don't know, do you know like batteries and light bulbs, right? Like they have to go somewhere else. So mm -hmm. even if you saw the point and shoot and it said, you have to take this to your UPS store, would you do it? So it's a great question. I think that some people would that care enough to download an app, right? That yeah. tells you how to dispose of things. On average, it won't work, but there is a massive information gap that exists today. And so in a lot of jurisdictions, I mean, in New York, we, are, we have the privilege of having 
probably the best West management infrastructure in the States, probably at least top five. But it feels, A, if it's not going to be some technical solution like a consumer app, it's just fixing labeling, right? There needs to be some type of regulatory gravity that helps us create some type of framework around how things should be labeled. That's probably the best solution. Or what I mean, maybe the point and shoot is a QR code. Yes. So you have to go to the consumer. You basically go to Walmart and say, Walmart, like you're going to require all of your suppliers to put this QR code and the QR code says what you do with this. Yes. Because I think like the the plant thing works because plants are like relatively similar enough. I know a little bit enough. I know a little bit about machine learning, the hardest class I ever took, and that you can do it because the plants look similar, right? Mm -hmm. But every, there's so many different varieties, right? So how do you train the model? But a QR code, you just hit it and then it says throw away. Yes. Throw away here or here. But you're right. If the goal is behavior change, there's a subset of products that people probably will not follow through on, like batteries, where you have to bring it somewhere else. And obviously there's a a bunch of literature on the economics of recycled goods in general. But yeah, it feels like there's this massive information gap that should be solved. But the framework is interesting just to step up a level higher, which is you're thinking about an idea, an entrepreneurial idea. And through the podcasting process, there's, I definitely have got caught the entrepreneurial bug. And so do you think, is this idea something that you want to pursue in parallel? Or you want someone else to go do it? Like how often, how often does like an idea come up where you're like, oh my God, I could fix the world or I could fix a small subset, but still make an impact. On average, it's, I typically just open source it. I'm so busy with the games company as well. So I'm like, Hey, if this resonates, run with it. I would love to see something like this exist. Another well, idea. Can I run an idea that I have oh, yeah? by you? So I, I think like the best thing that we can do, if I can speak for both of us, is just broaden the message, right? Again, like get other people who, who aren't yet thinking about it. And Robert Downey Jr. has like this big climate fund as well, climate project. And we can put that in the show notes. But what if we did large audience, right? And what if we certified sustainability lifestyles? I don't know exactly what it is, but like you were saying masterclasses, because there's so much, sustainability is such a big word. How do we get people to think about it who aren't yet thinking about it? Mm -hmm. When we first jammed, you brought up this idea of the sustainability consultant. And I feel like this is something that will exist. I think there'll be a whole new career, whether it's a side hustle or broader opportunity for people to either A, one-on-one parachute into someone's home or lifestyle and give them the checklist to go from beginner mode to expert, right? And when we were first riffing on this opportunity, the idea of starting with the kind of uber black approach where you start with high net worth, high profile individuals, you go into their lives, you help them self-correct in certain ways, and then you give them some type of badge to status signal that they went through this process. And then the opportunity from there is how do you democratize that to the masses? Is it a quiz, right? You just go onto site.com and you input what your key lifestyle preferences 
routines are and then it spits out some type of automated jargon or is it a calendly approach where you connect with a virtual expert so the company builds up this database of experts or consultants and in an hour or less they give you the how to on how to make your lifestyle way better for the planet for a hundred bucks I don't know. How are you thinking about it? We talked about money earlier, and I believe as I believe in capitalism. I, I guess that's a big thing to say. But <laughs> as a general idea, it's worked to bring millions of people out of poverty, billions of people probably. And so I think it's something, or like you said, spending money. Like someone puts a Supreme sticker. I don't know much about Supreme, but I am here in the land of Supreme in New York, right? And it's, I don't know, fucking $100 for a sticker. And you put it in your backpack and you've broadcasted to the world that you are willing to pay for this. And that it, it has a certain symbols symbolism to it, right? So what's the equivalent? It's like people, the question is, first of all, do people want to broadcast that they're sustainable? And then what kind of sustainable, and you're doing that with your show, your like upcoming TV show, right? Is that you're basically sustainability coaching and coaching now is like a huge industry in itself, Uh right? And so do people want to do it for themselves? Do they want to do it so they can tell other people about it? And then how do you check on it regularly? Because you could be sustainable today and then unsustainable tomorrow. And there's also, the question is also, does it make you an immoral person? I think Gen Zers would tell you yes. Like Corey from, yeah, in fact, Snacks would say 100%, you're a shitty person, <laughs> right? But are you a shitty person because you used a cup, right? But then you bike to work. It's just such, it's so difficult. But I think that, I think like where the idea comes in is that you really make it personal, which is that it's less, at least what resonates with me is that it's less about broadcasting the world. It's not, you're not going to have a sustainability supreme sticker um, that's green. It's more for you as an individual to like live with yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you're going to go to them. Cause I also think like just super pull back for a second. The future of the world is personalization, right? Like big tech Big companies, big corporations worked from the industrial revolution till now, right? Healthcare works because there's a 10% casualty is not the word I want to use, uh, but there's 10% loss, but 90% of the people rose up. But the future is through deep learning, machine, all uh-huh. that stuff is going to be like personalized health for you. And I think sustainability is going to be the same way. So I'm going to come to you. You're going to hire me and you're going to say, Hey, I want to be more sustainable in my food specifically. That's the vertical that I want to touch. And I'm going to tell you, hey, like these are the impacts. This is the carbon footprint of these different foods. This is how you can reduce it. This is where it comes from. And then you get to live your life knowing that you're helping the world, which is again, like going back to this like narrative arc. You're not going to, if you switch to a plant-based diet today, you're not going to see the impact. You might feel different. But some would argue better. I might argue better. Although I do eat meat and at times, really putting ourselves out here today, (laughs) (laughs) but you're just going to be able to live with yourself. I think better, but at the same time, like we're such a, we're such an Instagramable world. Like how many followers you have? I heard that I was in New Haven getting pizza at Pepe's. Have you ever been there? I haven't. If you look at best pizza, it's legendary, right? right? People like don't know about it, but one of the people, one of the servers was asking like, how many Instagram followers do you have? It's a thing. It's a status. So I don't know. I personally feel like it's a, it's going to be on the individual level, but does that work on the grand scheme or, or I guess are other people interested? Mm-hmm. I think the static signaling needs to be core to this idea. If you look at the most successful companies that happen to be good for the world, people status signal with their car by buying a Tesla, with their apparel by buying Patagonia, with... I mean, I guess they're home by putting solar panels. Some people are trying to do it in their finances by doing carbon or climate neutral credit cards, like Aspiration or Carbon Zero. So I think if this something like this will exist and thrive, 
It needs to give people the ability to flex. Mm. It, it needs to be baked in. And this exists for consumer companies, yeah. right? Like FSC, um, like Forced Sustainable Council. I'm going to get that wrong. But it exists in certain levels. There's also non-GMO. There's already labels mm-hmm. for goods. But what labels exist for people? Mm-hmm. Besides something that's non-direct, like the number of followers you have is a label, but it's not a specific label. So like, how are you thinking, mm-hmm. is it a green leaf in your Instagram profile? That, but anyone could put that on there. Yeah, that's the, the million dollar question. How does this manifest? Some people are thinking about it in the form of making it a feature of a carbon offsetting app. I mean, there's what now 10 funded carbon offsetting apps that track your purchases tell you what the footprint of those purchases are and let you offset those. So it feels like you could build something on top of a social graph there that says, hey, there's thousands of people that already bought into this type of lifestyle or narrative. Now you get this badge that lets you become the one of many who went through the extra steps to truly be good end to end. And then there's a whole equity piece of this too, right? Mm -hmm. Which is that, are you paying to be in the club? Yeah. And how do you solve that part? Mm -hmm. It's super complicated, but just to pull back, the takeaway here is sustainability coaching or consultancy is probably going to be a field that exists in a major way. How it manifests, how people will be able to flex or show off that they've gone through some type of process is the big TBD. And I think that if you could f- answer that, there's a there's gotta be a pretty meaningful opportunity there. Do you think, do you have enough knowledge at this point through your podcasting or through whatever reading you do uh, on the side, do you think you could be a sustainability coach? I think I could. Yeah, I think I'm not one that can take you through an LCA, some type of life cycle analysis, but I feel like there are very easy repeatable things that knock off or have high impact like how you power your house the things that you eat the way that you travel and people have talked about it so much so it's just recycling what's been talked about already for the most part so we said that we want to hit like the big like the head honchos Mm -hmm. to start but what if you put out on the air on your next episode or this episode saying hey I'm going to offer sustainability coaching to like one of my followers. You can even do it as like a way to grow your audience. Say like, hey, refer someone. You and that person who refer are both like put in this raffle. Whoever does it, I'm going to interview you live on the show and we're going to do an episode, like a, a sustainable coaching episode. That's a really good idea. That's, cool. That's a really good idea. We could divide, We could do that together if you wanted to. Yeah. We should do that. So we, are we going to coach them together or individually or? I think we have the guests on the pod. We could do it for net zero and in good hands, and we let it rip. That could be, A, a really good conversation to broadcast, and B, would be cool to do that in tandem with you. I'm down. I'm down. That's a really good idea. Okay, so let's think about how it's going to work. I think, because Morning Brew, also a New York York media company, Uh they... I think part of their origin story is that it was all referrals. That's how they grew, I think, to like a three million subscriber list. So to be right we're very we pull back the curtain we're not like hiding things like we want to grow our listenership so what if the or at least i do right i think we said like the whole part of this is that like broadening the people who are thinking about climate change so we want to grow so it's a one-for-one raffle right you refer someone you get entered in and then they get entered in we pick one person 
we bring them on the show for 60 minutes. We pull back their lifestyle a little bit, or maybe we ask them, what do you think? Do we like, do they open up the book and we get to choose or should we ask them, what do you want to do to be more sustainable? Yeah. I think maybe part of the raffle entry could be some type of short questionnaire Mm. that breaks down what their lifestyle is and what, where they'd like to be better. And then we could go from there. Yeah. Because I've been thinking about this a bunch, which is people sometimes know what they want, but most of the time I feel like they They just don't, they just want to be told what to do. Right. right. Like I want to go to New York and then I'm going to go like, Peter, like where should I go out to eat? It's like decision fatigue is so real. Yes. Right. You're right. Maybe it's just, maybe we just do, we just, yeah, they want to be better. Yeah. And And we can ask them like generally, okay. Is it like food, house, Uh transportation? Do you want to help? Are you like an effective altruist? Do you want to help people in like distant lands that you can't see? That's a really, this is a good idea. Okay. That's a good idea. All right. We're going to do it. So this one, I, we talked about it briefly earlier, but I, I really do want to get your bullish or bearish take. And I don't know if the right positioning is masterclass for X or how to for dummies, but it's talking about the theme of information gap, 111 Madison Park, right? I mean, quite literally the number one restaurant in the world announced that when they reopen, their menu will be 100% meatless. Just Salad, also a New York headquartered restaurant chain, pioneered this notion of the reusable bowl over 10 years ago before reusable was a thing. They have plant-based straws. They have all these things where the core restaurant operation is one of the lowest footprints across all restaurant chains in the States. But the average restaurant, you know, foodpreneur or the average person, like we talked about earlier, that wants to start their own fashion line has no idea how to do any of the above. Maybe they have some idea, they heard about it somewhere. There needs to be some central point of truth where you have very high insight per line or per minute information that tells you how to do your business in a greener way. I'm so many thoughts. First, I just want to say part of doing a podcast is the hubris that you know what people are interested in, right? And I think being an entrepreneur is the same thing, right? You're looking at the world and you're saying the world is not doing it correctly. It's a broad assumption. The You talked about like, that's a really centralized way of doing business. And what's so cool about like anyone who's working on climate change, which means so many things, right? Is that right now it's so fragmented. My podcast, your podcast, hundreds of others. There's, I don't think there is a centralized body for anything yet. And so it's so exciting, but maybe again, this goes back to, are we moving to a decentralized world? Mm-hmm. How to do business. I mean, like the question is like, it's, we could peel back the layers. Is it foodpreneurs? What was the word you used? I love that. Yeah. Like foodpreneurs or is that, that's the agency you wanted to create? Oh no. I'm, I'm just saying if you are a restaurant tour, that wants that has an existing restaurant or chain of restaurants that wants to be a little bit better. Yeah. What's your how it's to? Coaching. It's coaching again, right? Yeah. Son Corey from Impact Snacks, his like stealth mode uh-huh. is just that, right? And we talked about that a little on our show. I feel like it's comfortable saying that, which is mm-hmm. that he is he wants other brands to come to him and say, "How do I do this?" And then he's mm-hmm. going to make their supply chain greener. Mm-hmm. So it exists. I think it exists to an extent. One thing, just talking about like, the compostable straws and all the other stuff. I love, my wife and I did a, a road trip throughout 
the mountain west and I, we would be in super red areas but and there was no compost available but they still had a compostable bowl which is which i think is just because it's coming industry standard and the same way that like renewable energy like more dollars went to renewable energy investments and creation than non right this year so it's just like it's just standard practice yeah. but i think the idea i mean let me know if you feel differently i mean i'm bare i mean i'm bullish i like the idea but is it any different than sustainability coaching the thing that I, sustainability coaching, in my opinion, is one-to-one. Okay. I envision this being one-to-many where you co-author these pieces from the experts that are doing it. So you spend several weeks meeting with, you know, Daniel Hum at 11 Park with Sandra from Just Salad, and they go down the list how they handle throwing away their disposable gloves how they launched the reusable program. And anyone that wants to rinse and repeat or recycle any of those practices buys this course or this download and it just tells you exactly how you go from A to B. Oh, I love this. So what if, I mean, part of the idea is that if you had people who were sustainable certified, they could get access to these classes, mm-hmm. right? If we're also talking about just a giant conference where these people are speaking, one of the things that Clubhouse is cool is basically a distributed conference. Mm-hmm. So you have 11 Park Madison come on Clubhouse or whatever, right? You, live YouTube, it can be any medium and they're giving the pitch. But is it more involved than that? Is it, because it's also like McKinsey Consulting, but for sustainability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I just keep going back to something like a masterclass. Well, that's the beauty you know? of the internet, right? The internet is so repeatable. It's like you put the effort in once, so like costs exactly. are high, time are high, and then however many people... I think so. Yeah. So we're having sustainability masterclasses. We're gonna have to find the paragons of sustainability. Yes. yes. Get them to do... I mean, that's like an episode. Okay. I know you have to go. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> I, I think the idea is okay, we're gonna do we're gonna try and be sustainability coaches, but maybe the future is we hire professionals who are true experts, mm-hmm. mash them up with someone who wants sustainability coaching, and then people who are like that person can listen to the episode mm-hmm. and change their life for the better. Hell yeah, man! That's great. I guess the only thing that I'd like to say is listen to the net zero life podcast what are you doing oh what a guy i'm so grateful let's go so grateful for you thanks for coming on